Welcome to the Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. And for this installment of our Veteran Fashion Talent Series, my guest is fashion journalist Susie Lau. Welcome to the conversation, Susie. How are you? I'm very well, as well as one can be. But yeah, keeping, keeping well, keeping busy. And I am in Rio de Janeiro, and you are in London. Um, in London, Susie. in the midst of a another lockdown. Yeah, the situation is not is not great right now, but there's hope. There's hope. There is, there is hope. There's vaccination hope that will hopefully happen this year for both of us, and we can resume our traveling life. Because Susie. We have, you know, most people that, everyone that actually, in fact, that I've interviewed in this series, that I've had a conversation with in this series, I have, I have known um, for, for a period of time. And you and I have history in some respect. And I have to tell you, I had another guest this week. I had another guest this week, but I was so struck by the images that uh, the CEO and the, the editor-in-chief of Business of Fashion, Imran Ahmed, posted earlier this week. And he essentially showed images and wrote a little blurb about the first flash of fashion bloggers. That would include you, myself, Brian Boyd, Scott Schumann of The Satorialist, Stabby Gibbonson, and, and, and there were a couple others. And we were literally the first bloggers in the digital space. And I was just like, wow, you know, I feel that time has gone by so quickly. So much has taken place, you know, over the last, let's say, 15 years that we've been really toiling at this. So I was just mm -hmm. like, no, 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 rework everything. And this is the perfect time to speak to Susie. She is no doubt a fashion veteran. You've had so many, well, I feel like you've had a few lives in this business. And I am really, really keen to, to you know, to go over your, your, your fashion history, present and future with you. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny to be thought of as a, as a veteran because, I mean, for me, I still remember those days, those early days so clearly. And I feel like I still have that kind of mindset of, oh, I'm not sure you know, that feeling of being an interloper or being like, I don't know, you know, this feeling of have I earned this, earned my place in the industry is this thing that I've always kind of carried with me. And it's so funny how you, th you think when, when I came across your website, and I think it was probably before, because you started definitely earlier than I did. And you seemed like, so, to me at the time, such a, and it, of course it's legitimate, but like, you know, you, 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 you describe yourself as a blogger, but I was looking at you thinking you were this legitimate insider, amazing source that I found way more interesting than, you know, like a Vogue or whatever, and that you're much more compelling. And so it's like, it's weird how you, I don't know how, how we perceive ourselves and in relation to other people, you know, like we, we might have, I mean, I guess from the outside, maybe classed as like one group as like uh, bloggers 1.0, let's say. But like in my mind, I was like, well, yeah, you know, Imran, Jason, you know, the, these guys, they just, they know exactly what they're talking about. And I'm just the bedroom blogger. <laughs> well, I have to say, I thought blogging was a dirty word for some time. And I did distinguish myself as a, as a journalist, you know, but that was also a time where, you know, you know let's be honest, we had some hard-coded view on things and we may not have been very flexible in our terminology and we had a mm. sense of how fixed certain things were defined and so forth. As we've grown older, you know, these terminologies and these titlings, they're all, you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not so, well, it's just an easy way of qualifying, you know, a contribution, let's say. I think today it's even like, I, I think it's nice to like, and actually reading Imran's post, you know, I thought I was thinking how nice it is to take ownership 
of that word blogging again, because obviously it's not in, it's not really, it feels a bit like sort of retro and a bit sort of like dated in itself. But to me, I just, whatever you want to call it, to me, it just sort of defines self-publishing and not necessarily with a monetary or publishing agenda, you know, not the same agenda as say like a big publishing group. It's like it's like the agenda of just, oh, I have something I'm really excited to write about and to share with an audience that I I don't really care about quantifying at the moment, but I just want to put it out there. Well, thanks for thanks for giving shaping that definition. Thanks for shaping that definition, Susie. But let's actually break down. Let's break down what that work looked like. I remember clearly when I started JC Report that it was a direct response to talents, emerging markets, and the genesis of trends that were left unreported. Mm. I, I I didn't understand how a, like sort of a handful of brands kept get well no I did understand I, a, a certain handful of brands kept getting acreage of coverage while the next generation of creatives were essentially left largely unmentioned I mean of course this was a time during when advertising had a vice grip on editorial coverage but I made a concerted effort to like I was just like well you know my voice is not is not needed to talk about exclusively Karl Lagerfeld and and you know and his cognoscenti but what prompted the start of Style Bubble Blog for you back in 1996? Did you have a clear direction? Like 2006. Oh my God, 96, I was still a child. <laughs> no, 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 I know. I said, I said 2006. Is that, is that correct? You said, you said 96 in the first instance, but yeah, 2006, yeah. Oh, no, no, 2006. No, no, no. Sorry if I... If only I was... Uh, if I had the disposal of the internet back in 1996. I think I was still on dial-up back then. Uh, but 2006, yes. Yeah, so I had graduated from UCL in history, had a BA. I didn't, I, I didn't really have a clear sense of direction. And in fact, I had no like kind of inkling of fashion as a professional world because fashion had always been this thing that I was told would be, you know, it's like nice to be interested in as like a sort of side hobby. So obviously I consume magazines voraciously, fashion exhibitions, like anything like to do with like the sort of history or culture of fashion I like consume, but like more as like a hobby, as an aside to my degree. And then Afterwards, I uh, went into advertising, but the not the creative side of it, the very, very boring account management, kind of mad men, Pete Campbell style side of it. Very corporate, quite sort of, yeah, great. Actually, a great nine to five job to start off with when you're in young in London and you already have like a disposable income and it was very comfortable. But all the while, I was sort of just, a bit listless and a bit sort of, I hate, I don't really love my job. I'm just coming in. I'm just clocking in and just, you know, getting, collecting my paycheck. Do you know, like I had fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was actually passionate about. So 2006, I was working at my job and then I started Style Bubble off the back of participating quite heavily into the forum, The Fashion Spot. I was like an avid poster there, like really, you know, a proper sort of forum geek, just going very, very deep into, um, I don't know, did you ever log on there at all? No, I didn't. I did not. No, that was not a platform. It's I so funny on. how like, yeah, because um, there's, there's a few people that, uh, there were like industry people in there, obviously posting under like pseudonyms. Uh, and then there have subsequently been other people that have emerged like, uh, my friend Matthew, who now styles FKA Twigs, and we were all like secret TFS uh, posters. And oh, just was this post Hint Mag, and we actually we cannot we cannot ignore Hint Mag. I oh have to say. yes, like, Hint Mag. Hint Mag, very early. Also, the contemporaries with with us actually, but more with me actually. But Hint Mag was a must read 
publication in the digital space back in the day. So I have to give them their their props. So I just wanted it's, to know that. Yeah, so it's funny, like reading Hint Mag and, uh, and you, and then also concurrently, I was like kind of posting outfits on this like weird site called My Style Diary, which sounds so like... I remember that. <laughs> and like, and it was like, but it was really, and it sounds silly now because... Like everyone just is a selfie and outfit selfie is just so like part of our culture and our day to day. But really back then, posting a picture of yourself in your outfit was very bizarre. It would have, like, if you told someone, it was like, you know, it's like a completely out of norm act. And And so we were maligned to this weird site where we would just be sharing each other's outfits online and like commenting and, and so then combined with that, I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to start something of my own. I'd always always been like into kind of fiddling around with like websites and like I taught myself HTML when I was like 13, very basic stuff. And, you know, like all the tools were out there to, to like enable you to self-publish, you know, from the get-go. Like back in the day, it was like GeoCities. And then it was like MySpace where you could like customize all these things. And then, you know, all the kind of blogging platforms came along, you know, like Blogger, WordPress, all of that stuff. And it just made it very simple. And for me, more like something like a weekend project to go into. A weekend project turned into like lunch hour project, before work, after work. And it just became this obsession. And I just had this, thing where I set out I think I must have set out like 10 things you know I was gonna gonna write about the side of fashion that I'm super personally interested in that I thought wasn't like you said in mainstream media so it was like the history of fashion or certain cultural quirks or micro trends or like things creatives and designers that I'm super into like and uh and then obviously my own personal style journey as well alongside with that so it was like kind of a mix of things but you know the the thing about it it was supposed to be very very personal so style bubble came from my nickname Susie bubble which I had since I was 10 I don't know who gave it to me it was like someone that was like in the playground like Susie bubble bubble you know I don't know why I have no idea actually how it came about but I've actually always had that since I was 10 so then that's where the name came from. Well, I, I want the audience to recognize, for me, I, you're, you're really taking me back because I remember a university friend of mine, I was living in London and then I moved back to New York back in 1997 um, and he introduced me to the, to the internet <laughs> and he literally he introduced me to the internet and he was working for agency.com which was doing like the gucci site literally like the first the first ah, um, sort of amazing company. i do i vaguely remember yeah. that company but i didn't know that they worked on gucci like like the yes, first iteration they, of their website well they were literally the first company that like built websites and all the kind of things so when my friend told me this i was just like oh okay culture shift everything changes and this a, this platform, the internet, is going to allow you to live everywhere in the world and is going to be a distribution and delivery system that, that is going to be able to uh, use by much wider audience. It's, not no, it's no longer going to be like just a prof- only professional platforms from which you can speak from and publish from and all of that. I recognized in that moment how culture shifting all of this was going to be and how it was going to impact my life. And from that moment, when he told me about it, we all, I had a company before, um, I had a couple of companies actually before GC Report, but it, essentially I did a, I did a, a net-a-porter. I would love for you to talk to uh, Natalie Manson about that. But we, I literally, we literally started a store online selling everything from plastic jewelry to furniture, like the first concept store online. And so in you telling me about your, the genesis of your work, you are still, you know, recognizing that the internet is allowing or would allow a tremendous amount of freedom that you're able to publish from a platform that never existed before. I mean, I guess you could write a diary, but a diary wasn't being published yeah. to an audience. So you're really... It extended down. from, you know, even as a teenager, it started like... 
privately, private thoughts were, you know, out like on my live journal, like but in very private form, expressing yourself online. So I, I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'm in that generation of being obviously remembering what it was like pre-internet distinctly, but then also taking on the tools of self-expression probably in that at that period of time in my, your life when you feel like you do have a lot to say. You know, when you're a teenager and you're just full of angst of and you're course. just like, I want to like, you know, be be this. And then I want to, you know, and then like suddenly you you change tack completely and then you, you're off on another tangent and you feel like you just have so much to say. And I, and I think the internet kind of coincided with that. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure you probably, you probably had a much more strategic not strategic, but like you had, you were seeing a much more longer view of it where you could see where maybe it was going. And actually, I didn't really have that kind of long view of it because everything was just like, oh, well, I'll just set up like, uh, you know, a TypePad account because I saw Diane Pane has a TypePad account, uh, another blog that I was obviously reading. Oh my God, please. I'm so, Diane, uh, if you're listening to this, you were not forgotten. Oh. You were also oh, a part yeah. of the group. And this is Diane Pernay of View on, on Fashion. Just okay. that original, Hello. I don't know, along with you and Hint, you know, um, Hint Mag, that kind of tapping into a side of fashion that is like definitely burgeoning and like there was we were on the precipice of fashion being globalized you know really not coming right. just from the the four capitals and not that creativity wasn't burgeoning in those places you know obviously I, I was based in London so I was even though I, I didn't come from an art school background you could always feel it in you know, in the waters, the the creativity that's coming from the city. Um, I've, you know, I, I met so many amazing young designers just even when I had just started blogging. But like you could see that it was, there was definitely because of the internet and because of like just how people's work was getting seen. Uh, and I would get like, email start like as soon like probably like, th- like three months into starting my blog I, I would already start receiving like amazing lookbooks from like Sao Paulo Philippines mm. Singapore you know like it was really like the beginning of like I have yeah I love reading those actually those old emails that go into my my old hotmail address twinkle260 at hotmail.com like, 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 hi, I'm, you know, I've just started fashion school and blah, blah, blah. And here is, uh, here's some of these sketches that I've done. And I, I don't know, just seeing other from the other side. But Susie, you know what? I got to tell you, you know, you're, you're kind of waking me. You're kind of waking me up. I have to tell you to, to this time that we existed and maybe the story is is yet to be written you know maybe it needed it needed space and time in order to formulate a thesis but like i you know in talking to you now i'm like wait a minute <laughs> our contribution was very significant i mean we've just been going through the motions and doing the work and and pivoting when necessary but like <laughs> now that we're now that we're getting into the granularity of it we really did recognize a time and define yeah. the period i mean yeah, i don't know did. if i want to like pat myself on the back i, I kind of want to <laughs> no you know, but it was such a collective thing as well because we were part of it wasn't just about like standout individuals it was like a collective and because the internet is also such a collective place as well so it's like it's really it's i think it's hard to say it's also hard to say like claim like who came first or who did what first or who was the real groundbreaking it's not in 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 design in fashion you can see it's much more transparent and it's much more like you can pinpoint you know Mary Quant invented the mini skirt i think in in on our side in the publishing side it feels a bit and that air, that that whole period feels like a bit of a blur to me as well because it was just so many different waves of different people coming onto the scene 
if you can call it a scene, like different. And, and like, for instance, like Imran referenced Tabby, but for me, Tabby came a little bit later. Like she was probably like maybe like blogger 2.0. Who was she inspired okay. by? I don't know. Um, so the, the, the kind of waves of it all sort of blends into basically just one general period of, let's say, 2004 to 2010 even. Oh, actually, I actually want to I want to move you a little earlier. I would say more two thousand and one yeah. to two thousand and ten yeah. because Hint Mag and and myself were were really in the two thousand one two thousand two yeah, area. Even so like, it's like a whole decade no, no. of self the rise of self publishing, not just in fashion but basically across the board. You know, you can see it in like food journalism, like how that that exploded, or beauty, or you know, basically or areas that. A music as well oh my god that was like the era of like mp3 blogs or whatever you're 100 you're 100 percent right but one of the things that defined our group was the and you mentioned globalization before fashion week really became like a different kind of showcase that embraced talents like us all of a sudden we were participating in Fashion Week, we're an important part of the reporting, and and it, it really started then. So Fashion Week's now and then, you know, I I opted out yeah. about a few years ago. You know, I've spoken I've spoken about it here. I've spoken about it on this podcast, and I explained that I explained what happened. I explained what happened to me that I couldn't keep up with the pace any longer. I found it, you know, unrealistic to a point. And I, I didn't like how I was surveying, you know, the group around me and rating my value based on where I was sitting at a fashion show and that kind of thing. It was really I, I, I didn't like what was developing in my own in my own self. But am I wrong to say that your enthusiasm hasn't waned and you continue to find substance in the art of it all? It's so difficult because you know, to say that my, obviously, I'm through personal reasons, uh, I don't know if I've ever said it like explicitly, but personal, through personal reasons, I, I did have to shutter the blog just because I couldn't, I hadn't, I didn't have the time to give to it anymore and give to it in the way that I wanted to feed it. I always describe it as feeding it because it's like a, it's like a plant or a baby, you know, you got to keep feeding it. Otherwise it doesn't grow. Then my relationship with brands also shifted in so much that, yes, the the sort of rela- working relationships with like bigger brands uh, have become more established, and and I'm forever grateful because obviously these are the guys that pay my bills, you know, enable me to to have a life. But with Fashion Weeks, my relationship with Fashion Week has gone through peaks and troughs over the last 15 years or so, only because when you're going to a show, you're kind of putting on like different hats. Is this an advertiser? Is this like a designer that I'm really, really excited about? Is this, am I, am I like less excited to see it because I've been given a really shit seat? You know, like um, there are like, yeah, (laughs) it's sort of like a love, hate relationship with the I guess the politics of it the system of it the The hierarchical side of it I am lucky that like I guess like maybe like in the last I don't know five or let's say the, the most part of the last five six years or so like I'm not I'm going to a show and generally sitting what at the front or or whatever, but then I don't know that does that does that therefore make my enthusiasm for every single show up there for sure not because also Fashion Week has undergone this kind of almost inflated thing where there are too many shows and a lot of shows that don't warrant having a show, and then the things I get excited about do tend to be still be smaller things or in London, maybe sometimes like an off-schedule presentation that catches you off guard. And in New York too, actually. 
Paris is, I think, and Milan feels maybe more like work. I want to get it. You you mentioned the influencer. You mentioned the influencer thing before, and this is actually the perfect point um, point mm. for us to get into this this influencer journalism thing because I refer to you as a journalist at the at the advent of this discussion, and in many ways I see you as that. And and Susie, um, I I have mentioned you in this podcast before. I've mentioned you a couple times actually, and as an observer of your profile. I have to say, I've held you in high esteem as as one of the few seasoned journalists in the industry poised to continue as a legitimate voice uh, going forward. But in the same breath, I've also characterized you as someone who couldn't resist the lore, you know, let's let's say the quick money of being an influencer with without necessarily having any judgment on that. I understand that. But honestly, Susie, I don't know if this is a fair assessment mm. of your profile. So I have you here now. Please detail, detail to me that journalist influencer mm-hmm. matrix and, and also answer this question, does being an influencer compromise journalistic integrity? So I think just to lay the bare bones of it, you know, I do write a lot, but I also, I also don't post it constantly because, you know, I'm not under... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, maybe I should. I should maybe post it and, and make a bigger shout of it. And why don't you publish it? Why, why, if you, I mean, we know how writing Yeah, I know. You know. writing is like when you complete something. Sure, what? I, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, you know what? I have no idea why. I also think this is maybe getting like a little bit personal, but probably because in the last few years you know since I had my daughter and I also subsequently split up with her her father as well and um I did have a bit of a a confidence uh blow where I'm not sure I had a I was confident of my voice because there were it was also at a time when there were lots of kind of new Instagram accounts coming on and, you know, amazing people that I think are like incredible and I do have a lot to say. I want to say maybe Pam Boy is one of them. Diet Prada for sure, you know, like they've changed that game entirely as well. So mm-hmm. I, I did go through like a bit of a period of thinking, I'm not sure what if I have if I've got anything pertinent to add to the conversation. But all the while, I have still been writing for publications. So I'm contributing editor at Pop. So every season I do write like a big feature and I have interviewed some incredible people. I've actually just finished interviewing Mutual Prada, which was a dream come true, like an absolute dream. Like I, I think I can pretty, yeah. Once I get Ray, maybe Ray Kawakubo, Take that one off, then I can retire quite happily. Um, but and then I don't know why. Maybe because it is easier content to put out for sure. The outfits, the the sort of and it, 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 it it's like oh. a sort of uh, and it, it's and I don't. I'm not sure. Instagram is sometimes maybe not the space to whenever, like for instance, I have put like longer captions or more kind of fashion thinky things it uh, yeah you do uh, like of course things like performance and stats and likes you, you are kind of infiltrated by that so to that end I really really one of my goals of maybe like once Nico is at school properly and I have a, a, a well pa- the pandemic kind of upended that but once I now that I've gotten over my what I would call a tricky period of my life. I would love to find another way, another forum of writing at length for myself again. And not to diminish, I mean, you know, and and I've also mentioned this here, not to diminish being an influencer. I'm sorry. You know, you're, and and for the record, you're, and we'll get into this um, area of conversation as well. For the record, I also see you as a legitimate legitimate 
style person. You have wonderful personal style, have always had. It has nothing to do with this sort of, you know, performance of the of the Instagram space. You know, you're just you're one of those fashion. I've seen always seen you as one of those fashion girls. So that's that that has always existed. But allow me to connect maybe the dots here a little bit. And maybe, you know, maybe this bridge will help to define some things. You've had the opportunity in the past, well, certainly in this era too, but you've had the opportunity in the past to work with a number of brands on a lot of special projects. Now, did you seek out this kind of work or were you sought? And how does that history translate into the influence of work that you do now, particularly during a pandemic where it seems like a bit of greater creativity has been up Well, for sure, (laughs) all of those projects came to me, I have never, ever, I'm so lucky in that I've never sought a single thing out. So. And you've worked for the like, you've, you've collaborated with the likes of the, the, the Gap. Yeah, and I mean, early, sort of early that, things, that it was like Gap. I did like project for like Selfridges, early things for Prada, mm, very yeah. early actually. And and Google, I believe yes, you did everything from Google, Google to uh, thing. And then it also like went into like lifestyle. So it, it was like Diet Coke, vitamin water. Okay. So it kind okay. of, it, right. it, but it, it was so bizarre because like the, not bizarre to me, like when I look back at it, it seems really bizarre because it was such an array of brands, but also like a very like different capacity. So it, it could be like anything from Ambassador to styling something i styled something for braun do you know the uh the the the, the, the you know the personal care you know like the, the kind yes, of scope of work is has been so broad for the f- last 15 years i just wouldn't even i wouldn't even be able to like define myself in the that work in a nutshell and so because now the the work is definitely probably mainly mainly fashion focus some lifestyle it just means that i'm like i kind of go into every project or any project thinking you know but what do i bring to this and kind of maybe dictating it a little bit more than i did previously where previously it'd be the brand or the agency coming to you with a brief and now it's, I think now it feels a bit more collaborative and a bit more like they're coming to me asking, oh, so how do you see this going? Which is a really, really positive, I think, for that influencer space. I don't know how other people work. This is just how I work. I'm sure everybody has their, sets their own lines. And, you know, some, I think, so, you know, we have to think about like how different people, they, they have their own niche. They own that niche because they, are uh, like maybe they're more modelly, maybe they're more uh, content creating, maybe they're more like into like short TikToks or you know like everyone yeah. is uh, also owning the space in different ways, like we once did back in the day. I love that group because it was like right. that 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 group that Imran talked about because we were all in the space but in very different ways. Uh, but like, exactly. but then recognizing <laughs> exactly. the thing I liked about that maybe is missing today is that initial camaraderie, the recognition in one another that we are that we are like, yes. oh, you know, we're 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 actually what we're doing is you know is is kind of a bit of a a fuck you to you know like a Condé Nast or. Uh, but like, um, but we're recognizing right. that we're actually changing the space and changing how people consume fashion. And we we were young, you know, we were young, maybe full of hubris, but, you know, we were, we were definitely young. And I, I I think about how emboldened, and there wasn't, there was an attitude. There was just real energy and love of, of, of fashion. And we certainly love our autonomy to do what we wanted. But I I just think about how emboldened we were. For sure. I mean, we, we, it was like, it didn't feel ballsy at the time because we were just going through the motion. That is why. That is why all of that <laughs> right. kind of brouhaha, you know, with the, you know, with when when there were like sort of perceived spats between like print and and digital, and there were these snidey articles or like different at different points where like 
the online community were like kind of besmirched in some way. You know, that's why these these like altercations would happen, I think, because we were in such a gray area that like people just didn't know how to define us and they didn't know how to like com- compute like how this was going to affect their day-to-day job or but one thing i will say though is that the world um going back to the global statement that you made earlier the world recognized that things were changing because like yourself, we have been on many a press trip together from Brazil mm-hmm. to Australia and everywhere in between. The world recognized the, the value of what we were producing and w- wanted to make sure that we were there to deliver information about their region and their designers and their, and their trends. And I'll segue into this, Susie. Something that's not often talked about but but being that we both share this cutting edge, being that we both share cutting edge personal style and writing ability, have these combined skills worked in tandem for you as a double threat, or have they been certain you know separate functions in your arsenal? For me, the two worlds benefit in my headspace, but not necessarily yeah. in my work. You know, I I, I have to say, like you? it is a very like it's not there's a a balance. It's a real like hard balancing act, I think. Because traditionally, let's say, let's look at the big <laughs> critics and, you know, like, let's say, like a Sarah Moa or a, um, Susie Menkes or Kathy Horan. They, they are, they're not, they, they, they don't want to be seen. So, like, their persona, their, you know, their style persona is not a thing, it's not part of what they do. So they're recognized for their professional output as a writer. And I do think when you also have a personal style, maybe not so now today, because I think that that balance is easier to straddle. But I did have that difficulty, I think maybe like in the 2010s period, grappling with like, I'm a writer. I am, you know, I, 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 I do, I, I do think I can write, but then maybe not being taken as seriously because I also like wore a pom pom skirt or something. You know, like I, I, I do <laughs> think that maybe amongst the industry or there are definitely dissenting voices who who think, who thought that the two are like at odds with one another having like a real interest and and passion for clothes and and showcasing that very overtly in my case obviously publishing it and being out there and you know obviously the the whole sort of street style element at fashion weeks and then also being being like Backstage at a show and reviewing and and, and uh, asking questions, you know, even just interviewing designers, maybe even designers confronting that was a bit strange, a bit strange for them. Like right. maybe it it was not 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 that not that I think it was like a sort of deliberate prejudice, but maybe a sort of slight kind of you know. But do you know what you're talking about? Because I'm looking at you, and you're wearing this. That's so. That's that. That's a. That's an interesting commentary. I. I, I wasn't even thinking about that, but I'm. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I it's do. not suffering. And the thing is, it shouldn't even happen because obviously, like, and especially in fashion, it, it always did seem to me like quite like a weird paradox. Because the thing is, we we in fashion journalists, we write, we love these designers, and we we. We praise them to high heavens. But I mean, surely the best way of appreciating them is actually to wear them. No. And I, I've always just, I've actually never like shied away from just this very unadulterated love for clothes. You know? Nor have I. I think neither of us, neither of us have. And I think it's, exactly. it's always been a benefit to have. In fact, I've, I, I've, <laughs> I got to tell you, full confession here, I've always held a little place of like a side eye, uh, a journalist, a fashion journalist, and there are a few of them who don't particularly have personal style and always been like, oh, 
just disappointed, bored, wow. even though I may respect their critical voice. I've always been like, oh, I need some more style from you. This is fashion. Please deliver, <laughs> but I won't name names. No, but you know, for sure, like it is like a bit, you know, you've got to also remember, and it's in the same a lot of countries, a lot of like those kind of fashion critics and journalists, they also tend to come from non fashion backgrounds they, like in like in Italy for instance I think a lot of like the fashion writers they might have like once upon a time written about ballet or politics or sport you know like they kind of like move around departments or whatever so it I think like being this passionate and like showing your passion through your personal style and then be writing in a professional capacity there is, yeah, it is still like an at odds thing. And then now even sometimes like it's even more so because Instagram is such a visual space and it's so geared towards very short captions, emojis and, you know, just the picture. It becomes like sometimes like an even more kind of weird relationship between like the written word and an image. Yes, definitely. But actually, like, I've hugely respected one of the most respected fashion writers, Robin Givon. You know, she has mentioned as much that she's a journalist first and a fashion journalist second. Fashion just happens just happens to be her beat. So that that has vertical. Like, so I think the the journalist mindset is that yes, they're reporting, and you know, and I and. I also respect that position, but maybe it's because my kind of writing, because I wasn't schooled as a journalist and I don't come from that, like, oh, I'm going to get out there and fact check. Not that fact checking and all of that. Of course, I respect those processes. But I think when I'm writing about fashion, I do try like to try and come at it from a more emotive uh, standpoint. I, I I understand for sure. But but let's let's hold on the critics for for a second, just to get a a more sort of studied view on their contribution and what's going on in the industry. Are the lines too irrevocably blurred to ask a critical thought of the of the journalists out there right now? I mean, are honest opinions do they still exist, or 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 the the lines have been too blurred because things have been commercialized? Advertising has essentially marred. Um, uh, the lines between sort of journalistic integrity and and you know reporting. I think that for sure there is still a handful of voices that you can say are complete. Robin Given being one of them, and and I think Kathy to an extent as well. Although it's very ha- hard to like also divorce personal biases and personal relationships with designers, which mm. every journalist has. Right. Especially, I think in fashion journalism, you know, like they, they they do have their personal relationships. Tim does for sure. Tim, Tim Blanks, Blanks, yes. And how it's very hard to distinguish like those personal relationships and uncode them within the writing. Right, right. But that doesn't make me do. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm like. I can see. Maybe it's because I'm in the you know, I'm seeing it myself. So I have my personal opinion. Do I personally look to those critics to to ask of them an honest opinion? Maybe not. But I do look to them to get, let's say, their appraisal of it, just to almost like a sort of a benchmark check of, did I get the, 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 the nub of this collection right? right. Okay, I'm going to go to Tim and Sarah and just... Use them as a guide in in some ways. Like a a guidance. So, but how their work is perceived by like, say, you know, like a a young fashion fan. Yeah. Because I'm not sure they're full consumers either, to be honest, like a review. They're they're full enthusiasts. Like a fashion, like a fashion critic or like, or the pages that Vanessa writes in New York Times. You know, they're full like, definitely enthusiasts and insiders they're for the brands first and foremost as well surely you know, surely checking them checking like you know they they the, the, their, their primary audience is 
the the industry. The industry, the industry. You're absolutely, absolutely right. Let's switch gears here a little bit. The Black Lives Movement is the race topic of the moment. But before going there, I wrote a piece maybe a decade ago detailing the rise of the Asian class and their influence in fashion, primarily as designers at the time. Hakun, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Philip Lim, Jason Wu, Alexander yeah. Wang, etc. You know, China and the Southeast Asia is arguably, currently speaking, China and uh, Southeast Asia are arguably keeping the industry afloat from a, from a consumption perspective. Mm. Now, the Asian market is, is, you know, it's really seeming the end goal, at least where to make some money right now. But in terms of the output, can you paint a picture without necessarily having you speak for all Asian people, but can you paint a picture of the Asian profile in fashion right now? Oh, well, I think they've, for me, they've definitely moved on beyond consumer, just mere consumers and a mere market. They are a creative force in themselves. And those designers that you cited, obviously, they are uh, mostly Asian American. So I do see them maybe more as like, they are Asians, yes, for sure, but they're within a very American framework. But the creativity that I'm that I've personally been seeing in the last few years from going to Shanghai Fashion Week regularly is definitely that um, you have basically a whole generation of kids like that have had the golden opportunity of being educated abroad, going to Central St. Martins, Antwerp, Parsons, whatever, and then going back to China and with their manufacturing prowess be able to create incredible collections that are not at all derivative, which is, you know, was maybe the case like when, like, say, for instance, Korean and the first kind of waves of like Chinese designers started emerging onto the scene like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now you're really seeing, I, I, you know, honestly, when I go to Shanghai Fashion Week, I feel like there's such a dynamic and idiosyncratic energy going on that like I I am I have no doubt that there are like brands that they they have as much brand like the the local the consumer fashion fan out there have as much brand respect for like a shushu tong as they do for like a Gucci or a Prada. Right. So I'm really seeing I, I've loved seeing this like incredible shift and this sort of um wave of um i'm itching to get that's why i'm itching to get back out there and is it as important for asians to see their representation out there Uh, you know as i said the black life movement is the is the the dominant sort of voice out there right now but um is there Hmm. anything similar in the asian in the the asian it's interesting because like i don't know because it's a really hard thing to um, unpick because, you know, I think within the Asian community, diaspora, like, you know, in America or in other countries, there's always been this feeling of, oh, we're the sort of almost like the quiet immigrant, the, mo- like, you know, it's like that model, that, that cliche or the stereotype of a, a model immigrant being. Asian and and so we just get on with it and do are we demanding representation in the media at large Mm -hmm. locally I'm not sure that you know we have been really but for sure I think Black Lives Matter actually probably galvanized a lot of Asians to think about their own representation within the wider media, not just in fashion, but just, you know, in general, like I never really, when I was growing up in, in in London, I never really like looked to the TV and thought, oh, why aren't there more Chinese people on TV? Because I just assumed that there, there wouldn't be because I never saw many people like me around where I lived. Mm. so it is ingrained and it is very and it's like behavior that maybe needs to be unlearned and then within fashion and you know like if you're talking about Chinese people within China they have their whole 
landscape. And they're not like looking at American Vogue and going, oh, how many Chinese models are in here? Or, right. You know what? They have their, they, they're shaping, they're, they've been shaping their whole media landscape. They've got their own social networks. They have everything is like everything. their whole independent framework. It's us that maybe projects like our own values and meet, you know frameworks thinking that they, they, ro- they revolve around that, but they don't. So I don't know. It's like, I think it's a very, it's a very like complicated question and every Asian person and depending on countries as well, it's not even just about Asian, you know, like whether you're Chinese or Japanese or Korean or or Indian, you know, will have very different takes on what, but for sure I have seen, and I think what I was saying about Shanghai Fashion Week is there's a, an ownership of one's culture that is happening across the board and people's culture coming to light through their collections more as well, you know, like as inspiration points. It's, it, yeah, it's not like that era where you were talking about where I think, you know, like a, a Takuna or Jason Wu were almost like assimilating right. into like an American... Oh, so this is what a, a, a collection, like an Ameri- a New York Fashion Week collection looks like. So I think there's definitely much more injection of identity into a lot of Asian-authored collections now. Collections. Yeah. Well, staying, staying on that theme of authenticity, one of the issues that, that constantly is discussed here is the authenticity of brands' position on racism, mm. sustainability, yeah. and other and other important social issues? For me, <laughs> the, our audience will know this. For me, it's been incumbent, or I feel it's incumbent on brands to to identify where they have erred in the past in a truly meaningful way, uh, Susie. That they've that they they show that they've learned from their errors from the errors of their ways, and they're willing to make improvements in this era. Am I asking too much of, say, a Prada, for example, to own their position for nearly a decade of not showing Black models on the runway campaigns, etc.? If they're really about doing the work, and this, I just use Prada as one example, there are, there are several, many other examples. Mm. If they're really doing the work now of being inclusive and representative, do we just simply give them the space to do better and chill under the demands for atonement? Because I haven't been very chilled on the demands for atonement. <laughs> I I have to say, you know, might come at odds with one another about this. I don't, I, I dislike performative action and, and I dislike quotas and kind of head counting, you know, how many black models were in the show? I think when I see something that is a genuine, that comes from a genuine place of wanting to change the system from the ground up, and that goes across the board in the way they treat their workers, like in some factory in China or whatever, in their regards to diversity, through diversity, behind the scenes and in front of camera, and in their approach to sustainability, if it's like coming from a real place of wanting to change and not just answering, you know, Twitter demands, like from people, that's, that's when I fully like can get behind it. Because I do think right now it's a lot of performative action and I don't, and then behind the scenes, you're seeing very like quite ugly things where brands will be like, oh, we have to, we have to do this because oh, we've got to have like minimum casting people going like, oh, we have to like have like 20 black girls and like grumbling about it almost, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. as a chore. And that to me is more repugnant actually than forgetting about it in the first place. Uh, do, you, do you see what I mean? I do. I do. That's a, that's, a, that's a point. We need to make a distinction between 
genuine and coming from like at all levels, like CEO level, the marketing side, casting agencies, modeling agencies, you know, a real sort of just a shift, just a real like basically like an away from Eurocentric shift. And that's a big ask. That's like asking people to change their like, they're just their like their, their upbringing. Like you know what 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 were their relationship with diversity when they were growing up in Italy? Right. Probably, you know, they were little to none. Little to none. <laughs> in London, a bit better. You know, I've grown up with it. It just sort of, it's not. It doesn't occur to me to be like, well, of course we have to always have you know, representation. I would love to see more Indian, like, for instance, like, at London Fashion Week. I never see any Indian girls or, and behind the scenes as well. But I'm like, but wait a minute. I grew up, like, with my class in my year, my girl school, like, being 40% Indian. That's, like, weird. And and as a not, well, you know, I'm a Black person, and a lot of this conversation, a lot of the racial conversation is framed from a a Black perspective, that it's not with the omission of anyone else. But as a non-Black person, did you recognize the omission, the marginalization, and the different treatment of of Black people in this business? Uh, You know, you reckon, say that again? For sure, like, because... Okay. Because I, I I saw it firsthand, and you, and I did through the years of sitting in a British press block, you could count the number of non 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 white. So that's including myself. People on like I don't know, it'd be like one percent out of maybe yeah one percent maybe less. <laughs> it was none. It was no black people. No, you know, and then one. Asian person, that's my, that's me in that press block for years, and then, and then, it, and then it got better, and now it's not. I don't know. I haven't. I guess. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't counted up, but there have definitely been, obviously, notable appointments. I don't. I uh, yeah. I don't like it when we focus on those notable appointments. Obviously, like Edward Enneville. Obviously, we know. We know. We know. You know, mm-hmm. I look at the whole picture here, like behind the scenes, like when I look backstage at makeup artists, uh, the stylist assistants, the the people running production. You know, when I look at it, it is to me still from a London perspective and maybe in New York perspective, in Europe as too, it's still pretty white to me. Um, I and I and I and I would agree. Let's go back to you for a second. When were you most scared to pivot? Uh, probably when I was about to leave a full-time job, so days, because it was so, the concept of not having a nine-to-five was so scary to me because I was like, mm-hmm. I was like resigned to having Style Bubble and the blog as a side hustle for so long. But then it got to the point where the side hustle was taking up so much more time than my real hustle. It was just like it was. Just like, I, I actually physically can't divide myself in this way anymore. Like uh, I had no personal life to 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 speak of. It was just you know I was giving. I was you know so so stressed and not being able to do both well enough. And let's can we just recognize? Can we just recognize here what hard work is? You know, it's particularly when you're dealing with the written word and you're dealing with the written word on deadline at a mm. pace. Like it is, it's tremendous, tremendous yeah. work. And, uh, you know, full disclosure as well. I think I burned out when I um, I had increased the my output. I was, you know, doing multiple articles a day instead of doing a very limited art- number of articles per week. And I, 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 I burned out. And because yeah. it is... It, incredible amount of work yeah and you know i think it was we were victim also to that 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 also that cliche that like online digital you have to feed content and you know because websites websites were also gaining professional websites with like hundreds of staffers you know that pace of like churning out 20 30 articles a day just became the norm Exactly. We were like lone people, lone like doing <laughs> lone all ourselves, like on 
just trying to but but I did recognize that like actually because from doing dazed I was like I don't want to do that kind of pace with what I do on Star Bubble because I know I can't achieve it right that pay you know that like and also hitting up like clickbait you know and ensuring that everything was like traffic worthy that also is another kind of pressure that I learned on the job and I'm so grateful for that because obviously that side of publishing is like yeah you know that paved the way as well you know that that era of fashion websites really coming into their own so like you know the big publications were really were really ramping up their output and creating amazing content you know Absolutely, but it was it was yeah, <laughs> much harder for independent, much, understaffed exactly. <laughs> um, entities like ourselves to uh, yeah. to compete. Yeah. Well, so we had to. Yeah. So it was hard to pivot from that, like to be from oh, get get away from the safety net of having a steady wage, and then dictating your own time and dictating your own work and like wondering when your next paycheck is going to come in. All of that was very, very, very scary. I remember crying when I was re- resigning. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could definitely under, understand why such a move would be frightening. Well, Susie, I'm about to, I'm going to wrap this up now. And you, we just mentioned some of the things we do not long for, but do you long for in this industry? Something that you think we benefited from? And if it were still in place, we would be all the better for it. It's a really difficult question because fashion is so predicated on I'm not I'm I'm always very resistant to this idea of like I mean you called me a veteran, but you know, as soon as you're a veteran and then you start thinking, Oh, but in the good old days <laughs> and then you become one of those like dinosaurs that can't <laughs> see the present or see what's happening and appreciate your present as well. I hate like this idea of like mis- being nostalgic about facets of fashion because as soon as you start doing that, you kind of render yourself like, you know, like you don't want to recognize what's going on around you at present. And fashion is so much about thinking about what's coming next, what's new, what's exciting, what's making things tick and turn. So I always want to try and retain that excitement about what's next, what's new, what's innovative. I mean, innovation to me is definitely the key word here because I think aesthetically speaking, fashion can feel quite like just cyclical and recycling of trends and things like that. So I'd love to see more innovation in that respect so I don't know like I think there's just a lot of filler less filler would be nice I I, I can't I, I'm not going to go into specifics I'm not going to obviously name names it's fine but fashion filler I think for me is the thing that probably kills my love of it the most <laughs> well Susie on that note and well actually I, I, this I, conversation I was no filler this conversation was no filler by the way this was like this was a really like I loved doing it with you especially <laughs> no worries but I I, I want to sort of um respond to your point about we have to be careful I have to tell you I advise all of my peers and my peers are you know are, are people in their 40s and 50s at this point and I advise them, I'm like, you have to be so careful about the things that you try to hold on to, systems that were in place that you thought worked, like things are changing so much and you have got to be open to things literally not existing, you know, augmenting right in front of your eyes. Like we are in a time of change. We're in a time of innovation, using your word. But like, do not, do not be stagnant. Do not be static. No, <laughs> so well, I do also, agree. Also, do you. not ever stop being curious as well. I use that word too. Being curious has been like so fundamental to like me staying in this industry for so long because if I lost that 
I just might as well go back to doing a nine to five, you know, like a, a, I could be working anywhere. I could like, I don't know, working in a gas plant. <laughs> and on that note, Susie, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed talking to you uh, this morning. I mean, there's so many areas of like, you know, I've, been, I've just enjoyed talking to the guests so much because there's so many areas of this industry that at least when I was first introduced to it, just seemed like it was always going to be. But looking back, so much has changed in the last 25 or so years that I've been in this business. And it's just fascinating to look at. And also, I got to tell you, like, I thought I was in a more, I was in an industry with like a, a, a more solid foundation. I realized so much of what we experience was our, our industry is very clubby. It's very, you know, relationships driven. There's so much and so much money that's just had been involved around people just being friends and aligning themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it really hasn't been, while there are billions of dollars, billions of dollars get that gets traded around fashion, what I have really come to understand, and you know, it hasn't taken me 25 years to understand this, but I do understand that this business is a very is a very clubby kind of industry. And hence, so many ills have taken place over the years because when you're dealing mm-hmm. with a group of friends, sidelining other, other factions or other groups and so on and so forth, yeah, of course, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna come into problems. So well, maybe, certain things I've really just recognized after the fact. Maybe that is also the other thing that I would, that because I, you know, I, I just think that approach doesn't fly anymore. And in this age of where, you know, anyone, literally anyone, not even an influencer, not even anyone, you know, can bring a brand down. Like what if they notice any kind of trip up? I think you really need to think about your values and the way you're operating and the way you approach every single thing. And think about what value are you giving to the world, you know, not just in your actual product or uh, aesthetic output, but what values are you aligning with in the way you do things and do business and treat people? So that would be, and it's not just in fashion. So I would, you know, love that kind of mentality of thinking that you can just get away with it because, you know, fashion is this clubby, frivolous, world that based on decadence just doesn't fly anymore. Susie, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you, Jason. So lovely to speak to you too. (laughs) Indeed. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye.